0: Namo Tassa Bakawato Ada to i'd a some butsin not <Sessing> more DE So we have one week left of this vasa and then the Pavarna thats us what we determined, aditana three months ago will be completed. And in monastic, uh, when we count our age, we count the vases. So I'll be 40 next week. 40 years old. And then uh, we begin the, the formal uh, Sangha retreat this evening. And uh, so this is uh, just, uh, we've been we have a lot of time to practice on our own now. As a group, it's uh, offering the merits and goodness for the welfare of the Sangha. Uh, I find it, you know, it's so easy to just think of one's own practice as separate from everything else. And you hear people talking about my practice and what I need for my practice and, and that kind of uh, way of thinking. And also in the sense of the Sangha, we take refuge in Sangha, not in my practice. So these are ways of talking that begin to see through the the uh, kind of egocentric uh, attitudes and perceptions that we have. We think of ourselves, as kind of my life, my practice, my rights, what I think, as if we were some isolated entity uh, disconnected from everything else. <clears throat> of course we can create that illusion uh, if we want but it is an illusion. And so what they call interdependence or interconnectedness or where, what, are, what connects us What is it that, at this very moment, connects all of us? And that's, of course, the consciousness. And then, that is uh, not personal, not, uh, it doesn't belong to anybody, it's not convention, not created, But yet, we're experiencing it now. It's real, isn't it? It's not just, uh, uh, some kind of uh, abstract idea but the reality is that we're conscious at this this very present moment and this is where, you know, when we recognize this, when we begin to recognize and appreciate pure consciousness then the, the differences in forms, conventions and five khandhas, and all that kind of thing are no longer the the identities that that dominate our conscious experience, uh, and that's what ignorance is. When we talk of a avijja, ignorance of the dhamma, it's ignorance of this reality, and then we do we create ourselves as a separate personality, identify with our special qualities, inclinations, habits, and and feel alienated and lonely and isolated and uh, from others from the universe we live in because of this delusion. The time is an interesting one where where there you know the this kind this this insight is not uncommon now and certainly much needed because on the level of the differences, there's just no end to them. And uh, just trying to to uh, make everybody believe in the same thing and agree to the same moral standard and political view and and all the rest is, we know, is an impossibility. It may be a dream but that's all it can ever be. So even in Sangha life, in Amravati, is not it, trying to get everybody to to attend this retreat, this one week retreat. Yet every monk, every nun, every Anagarika, Anagarika, doing this retreat. (laughs) I laugh. It'd be nice, you know, kind of like a dream, but uh, in terms of the realities, knowing the people that I live with. <laughs> because each one uh, is has their own uh, interpretations, views, opinions, and everything else. And there's nothing to fight over or, to, you know, to, to, nothing to uh, to make demands or force, But uh, pointing out the, just on a conventional level, how even when we even into the same conventional form and moral standard and everything else, still the differences are present. But so these things are the ones that we we create uh, problems with, you know, what what are wars about? Not about consciousness, never a war about consciousness, but about politics, power, uh, racism, um, the rich and the poor, the unfairness, the injustice, the, who we designate as the a- enemy, the terrorists, uh, the free world against the forces of evil and all this kind of thing is, uh, these, these are perceptions we create in consciousness. We, you know, so we, we create these divisions and we divide ourselves and so we do have uh, conflicts, wars, struggles, and internally also. Just notice the struggle within your own consciousness, the war between your intellect and your emotional conditions. You know, so you, you know, we have reason and and uh, we we understand principles and ideals and we're rational, reasonable, but we also are emotional. So we have emotions and and reason going on at the same time, and it's like an internal struggle, isn't it? Uh, The rational mind's always saying, "Don't be so silly. Don't be so emotional." or childish. You're just being immature and selfish. And the emotions, but I've uh, gone and then then the superego comes in and says, you're just being selfish. You're you're very immature and uh, you shouldn't feel like this. And then the emotions still feel like this. So we suppress, we condemn, judge the emotional uh, conditions that we experience where this, with this intellect, which it comes from uh, you know not from emotion but from thinking, reason, logic, so how do we get perspective on that conflict the the reasonable rational mind with the emotional realities that we experience, and the only way is, uh, is of course mindfulness. Mindfulness allows both to be what they are. When we develop sati sati satipanya, then we're actually allowing these different energies, different conditions to exist in the way that they are, without judging, without taking sides. Choiceless awareness, as Krishna says. Way of no preferences, and so this is the only possible, this is the only possibility we have to resolve the conflicts Because just suppressing one, or you know, taking sides just you know is karmic, and we create more problems, more confusion, more resentment, more unhappiness, more sense of isolation. Fear and desire dominate our conscious experience, then we wonder what, why, what is the life about? Why, why am I like this? Why do I, why do I have to be this way? So then, uh, recognizing consciousness. And I've pointed that out many times, and and, uh, and uh, you know this is this is where this intuitive sense is necessary because you can't you don't create consciousness. Uh, you, you know it's a natural condition. It's a natural state or a non-state. It's not even a condition. It's natural. We're experiencing consciousness right now. So the only way to, to uh, appreciate this is not by trying to figure it out or analyze or make value judgments or think about it, but recognize it. And so in uh, a practice of meditation, a, the gate to the deathless, de <laughs> sangamata the gate to the deathless is open this is mindfulness, sati sambha So that is a simple reality of just being present, of non-attachment, of just paying attention, being alert in the present without, you know, there's nothing, not seeking any particular object or having no agenda to follow, but just relaxing, opening, receiving, observing, listening. Consciousness is light, isn't it? You have the, is the word, light. Enlightenment. So, you know, in the uh, now this is a so it's not something that that you can t- turn on and off, but recognize but then we can see we can see light as something external like the sun or the or the electric lights or the candle light or daylight or moonlight but isn't consciousness light also? Even in a dark room, pitch black, where there's no light, external light on at all, you're still conscious. So the light is from within, isn't it? You're conscious of the dark. The dark isn't conscious of the light. So you're, this, these are ways of, of exploring and investigating experience. Now, uh, in uh, this retreat, you know, this uh, it's uh, you know it has its uh, you know sh- schedule and and all of this. So this is just to to make it easy. You know, the idea of a of a schedule is to is to give a, a kind of form, a group form that we we use other than just each one doing our own thing all the time. And so it, it's a way of of um, sharing this this in this week together in this form, and then we can see our own personal reactions to the form. Whether we we think, oh, I don't like doing this, or I I like it, or we feel angry towards others who don't seem to be cooperating, or be the witness, of the observer of what happens. You know, that's not to, you know, Not this isn't a, a tyranny in which you have to hold a gun to everybody's head and force them to conform. But, but the, the point of it all is, is to observe, be the witness. So it doesn't mean, I don't ask you to like the form or you know, it's not a matter of making a demand on you, but it is, it is the form that we've decided on for this next week. And it's like this. You're not asked to do anything bad, immoral, against the Vinaya, it's all all proper. <laughs> but we may not want to do it, and that's fair enough. Be the ob- observer of that. Not not to make a problem about it, but observe, you know, how some people find conformity easy and others find uh, conformity very difficult. Or if I conform, then I want everybody to conform. That's my problem. When I, when I set up conventions, I want everybody to do what I'm doing on a personal level. So I've suffered in my lasting life because <laughs> me wanting everybody to do it the way I do has never worked. You know, this is a recipe for disaster. So you have really have to learn, you know, what, you know, how to use conventions, rules, traditions, uh, forms, etc. for awareness. It's the whole point is awakened alertness to the way it is. So spelling out the point of the convention, the 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 week of, of uh, medit- you know of sangha practicing together the last week of this vasa, uh, there'd be things interfering too. We can't just make the world stop and respect our Retreat time at all costs, so tomorrow, of course, is a Sunday and, uh, and, uh, and it's gratitude to Parents' Day. So I have to give uh, a talk in the afternoon. This isn't on the schedule of the retreat, <laughs> but that's the way life is. You know, The best laid plans of mice and men are doomed to failure. But it's not the point of being successful or failing, but in awakeness, how we, you know, how we use the contingencies of life that we experience. And how to use them is to see them, to recognize them and how they affect us. You know, how they they feel, how they push our buttons or how we feel irritated or or we feel exalted, or happy, or sad, or whatever, by the the way things move and change that are beyond our control. We can easily, you know, like become control freaks and want everything set up in this way, everybody to march in step, everybody to, and, and we've got to shut the gate, lock the gate, so nobody will come in the gate tomorrow. Council gratitude to parents day so that nothing will interfere and interrupt and any monk or nun that's missing we're going to take roll call every session and you'll get lashes if you're not present and if you come in late or we may not allow you to have the meal. (laughs) This is like English public school, isn't it? So, you know, this is not this 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 conformity just is made uh, is not what we're after. Just you know, uh, a tyrannical forcing of everybody to to think and do the same thing. Nineteen eighty-four, uh, Orwellian nightmare. But we still can can have we still have those kind of um, feelings sometimes. you know when wanting wanting something to be perfect wanting things to to um everybody to do what they should and everything going the way that the that it, that I like that makes me feel secure you know if everybody obeys the rules and pays the proper respect and does all the right things, then I personally feel very secure, you know, that everything's all right. And then then if I attach to that, then when things, there's always one, you know, the snake and the god and the worm and the apple, the monk that doesn't, and then what? <laughs> so the dukkha, isn't it? So even getting your own way is Dukkha Uh, not to to mention not getting your own way. So that's the way you know the the world is, the world or the conditioned realm is not, you know, it's it's to try to control it. It's an impossible thing to spend your life trying to control the conditions according to, to, in order to make you feel secure and safe. So the Buddha's way is is pointing to the unknown the kind uh, like my the uncertainty in Po Cha's famous mantra was my na uncertain not sure and this this uh, this is a statement that many people uh, are into controlling life find very upsetting because we want certitude clarity. Uh, we want, you know, everything to be, to, to make us feel, you know, we're guaranteed and everything is all right. But when we awaken, when we're observing, when we're mindful of the way it is, we recognize that that's, that's not the way it is, there's nothing certain that certainty is an ideal that we might you know hold to but the nature of all conditions is uncertainty. They arise and cease, they change according to other conditions. None of them are independent operators in their own right that that you can depend on because the conditioned realm is a dip, is interdependent. It comes and goes and changes according to other conditions that are beyond our control. As a puny little human being we have no way of, of dominating the universe, making it do what we want. So the the um, Buddhist, Buddhist practice is not through trying to uh, become a super, like Superman, but to awaken and observe. To awaken to ultimate reality. And that you can't find, you can't create, you can't imagine, but you can recognize. And that's what awareness, The, the when we use this word awareness, satisampachanya, that's what we're doing. We're recognizing it realizing it. It's real, here and now. But trying to think about it, you miss it. You can't, it's not something you can conceive. So you have to let go of your desire to conceive it, to find it, in order to define it, but to recognize through Awareness, the gate to the deathless is open. And after this retreat, the uh, the pavarana and then, all hell breaks loose. (laughs) And of course, <laughs> me anyway. Uh, comings and goings and whatnot not—it's uh, uh, like uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous. But um, that doesn't inhibit mindfulness and in whatever happens. You know, it's not—you know—organized retreats that. That's, that's one conventional form we use. But uh, it's, you know, whatever, wherever you are, whatever's happening. So it's attending uh, katinas, traveling, um, whatever is, you know, demanded or expected or one's committed to uh, is, is, not, is not an obstruction. If we realize Recognize this. Because that doesn't depend on, on, you know, structures and forms and conventions. In all things resolve themselves. All the conditions arise and cease in the unconditioned. So, instead of manipulating the conditions endlessly trying to perfect them or you know hold on to them and and uh, make them what you want you're you're letting go of the conditions and and just that very relinquishment you know, letting go releasing this grip out of ignorance, this grasping clinging attaching tendency out of ignorance through the suffering uh, that we create through doing that, we relax, we let go, and then we recognize the unconditioned, where the conditions arise and cease, that's consciousness. And so that's where we're all connected, you know, we're that's one It's not in, you know, my brain or in my head and in your head. So then we, we when we recognize that, then on the uh, differences of conditions, and we, we still can conflict, but that there's not nothing to kill each other about or to create any real problems. Fair enough. I like this better than that. And you like that better than this. I don't have to. I don't have to convert you, <laughs> unless I'm. You know, I think everybody should think like I do. But when you recognize that that, uh, that that's not the way things are, and that our real refuge, real real refuge, is in the unconditioned, then we can we can really uh, not resolve the conflicts that do arise or let them resolve themselves. You can see in the present state of affairs in the world this is, nobody, you know, knows this in the, you know, the international scene. It's all about conflict, power, ignorant. And so the, the, there's, a, you know, there's there's a lot of danger now because of the technology and the weapons and that that exist, and the 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 ignorance that dominates the the this planet in terms of, you know, the, those in those in, who have the power. So, that's the way the world has been, uh, you know, that's why the world is like this. And so this is our opportunity to to resolve the problem within ourselves, because we certainly standing around waiting for a Prime Minister or somebody else to to become enlightened, I wouldn't recommend. Be nice, you know. I'm all for it, but I, I wouldn't, wouldn't expect that. So, but it's because it's something. Even if the prime minister does it, it still doesn't affect you till you do it. You know. So even if you have enlightened leaders, you still can create endless conflicts within yourself, in your families, in Sangha life, or in every other thing that we touch or attach to or identify with. But each one of us, no matter what our position is—Mithangam, you're just, uh, you know, a junior, senior monk, nun, anagari, kanagari, lay support team, or whatever—is not the issue, is it? It's it's the awareness that we're pointing to. Conditions themselves, you know, are not obstructions. <coughs> so it's seeing the conditions knowing conditions as conditions that we uh, no longer uh, create problems around them as you all know living in a community uh is a challenge because when you have, uh, you know, a number of people living together uh, in one place like this, you know, there is, you know, so many irritations that one might not have if you lived alone. Or with the chosen, the people, you know, certain, maybe a couple of close friends that you share the same values and you get on with each other but here you know it's the uh, strange community, <laughs> very international and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know we're all committed in the, to the to the conventional form tervada monasticism so it, we have that in common our the common ground is consciousness, then the differences are seen, not judged, not trying to, to convert or, or make anybody into any something something else, but to use the way we are, the personal, the, the you know the, the way we think and our emotional habits, whatever they might be. For seen in terms of all conditions are impermanent, not self. So that way each one of us has to develop our path by looking at ourselves not at somebody else. So there's no example for you, you know, how you should be. you know, not that you should be like this monk or this nun and you should, you know, make yourself into something else. That's not it, is it? But it's uh, in awakening you to, look, to observe the, the, the conditions that you're experiencing. The good ones, bad ones, or whatever their quality might be. You know, so it's not the quality but the alertness, the wisdom faculty to discern conditions are impermanent and not self. So I find this, this way of reflecting very helpful because, well, you know, inevitably in communal life we kind of envy or we kind of think oh he's a very good monk and she's a very good nun and that one isn't so good and that one, you know, and we we have our preferences and opinions and, you know, who who really is the, you know the 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 best monk or the best nun. Things like this is is uh, you know, it's not the point, is it? I remember going through this years ago and some of the some of the monks I thought were the best have left <laughs> so so much for that, you know <laughs> so much for the best I mean that's not it, is it. it's not trying to be the best, but to because none of us are the best in any way. You know, there's nothing, that's a a kind of peak of of some quality when it's at its best, but it's not a, it has no sustaining, self-sustaining ability. So we all, in our own ways, have our best moments and our worst ones, and we, you know, we're happy and sad and inspired and depressed and loving and hating. And it's awareness of this. You know, the learning to use this rather than than see it as some kind of personal defect, or uh, to criticize somebody else for their uh, material changing problems, but to encourage the the uh, you know the awareness, the awakeness to to trust yourself more, to observe rather than to try to get rid of. Thing, bad habits and out of uh, you know Im- be th- you know judging them resenting them, feeling ashamed of them and so forth, but in recognizing that they are what they are and condition are you know can have any quality they say condition phenomena that includes every possible quality quantity. From best to the worst, good, bad, right, wrong, heaven hell it's it goes on endlessly, you know the complexities of condition phenomena, and they're always changing you know it's like you know trying to to- ar- arrange you know your house when it's in middle of a cyclone, you know whatever you whatever you try to do and if you try to straighten up, it, you can't. It won't stay that way. So the conditioned realm is—it's a cyclone, it's a samsara That's what it's supposed to be. So don't demand it to be peaceful, but to recognize movement, change, energy, and consciousness that allows us to observe, to know the way it is. So uh, I hope this is an encouragement for you and, and this the uh, next week. Uh, we had, went to David Chandler's funeral yesterday in London and uh, I, I knew him I met him in 1972, I think, in India, and uh, he was. Uh, we were uh, Ajahn Nanadaro, the Lao monk living in France. He and I were, went to Dong, in India, and we, we. Um, and uh, and we met when we were in Delhi. Uh, we didn't have any. We didn't know where to stay. Uh, And so we went to, uh, we went to the Theravadan Temple in in Delhi. It's quite a nice place and we asked the monk, head monk there, if we could stay the night and he said, get out! Yelled at us, like that, very rude. That was a big shock because I'm used to, you know, most people want me to stay in their temples. And so, uh, Yanadaro and I were a bit shocked. We didn't know where we what to do, and then we realized we were in the area of Delhi where there's a lot of embassies and that. So, Yanadaro being Lao uh, uh, thought he might, this was before Laos went communist in 72. So, we he thought, well, maybe um, uh, he might know the Lao ambassador. So. We looked it up and we found out that we could actually walk. We didn't have any money. We were traveling as as mendicants. So we found out we could actually walk to the ambassador's residence from this, this Theravada temple that we'd been banned from and uh, went, knocked on the door of the ambassador's house. And, the, oh, that was wonderful. Cause then the, he was so happy to see us. <laughs> <laughs> we were asked in and even cups of tea and, and beautiful house in Delhi and then the uh, ambassador uh, ambassador chandrasi uh, that was there then he was uh, a member of this moral rearmament and uh, which is a organization that was set up in the thirties here in in Oxford here in England and um, it had its did a lot of conflict resolution after the second world war trying to to uh, you know work through the you know the shattered European problem between the French and the germans and and all the you know the anger and angst and misery that had been caused through the most disastrous war uh, and they they did actually were you know involved in this idea they were kind of a christian based but very much Gandhian type, non-violent and and very idealistic uh, kind of organization. So, the Lao ambassador was a member of this. So then he he asked Ajahnarada and I to go with him to their ashram in in Maharashtra. So uh, we had a sedan, chauffeured sedan with the ambassador drive us across India. I think we'd been walking all these to these holy places. And uh in a you know, in, in one of those those Indian cars, ambassador cars they're called. You know, they had one they only had one kind of car in those days. And uh then we went to we saw Taj Mahal by moonlight, spent a night in there, and went on to the Elora Caves in Maharashtra, and then took us to this uh hill station in Maharashtra uh in, uh in the hills above Pune called Panchkani. And there was this kind of paradoxical ashram of the moral rearmament. And uh and it was uh, we'd been walking, you know, we we'd been roughing it for months, you know, living on alms food, begging for food and things like this and living out, sometimes just sleeping in the fields or whatever was available. And then suddenly we found ourselves in this uh, kind of paradise. We had a room with a bed and a shower with hot water and they had the most wonderful food and fresh strawberries, imagine fresh strawberries in India. And. <laughs> <laughs> And all these beautiful people from all over the world. They were from Europe, from, from, from India, from Sri Lanka, uh, from Australia, New Zealand. And uh, the Rajmohan Gandhi, the grandson of Mahatma Gandhi, was there also. And some other you know, important people, famous people were there. So we, we lived there for about, I lived there about six weeks. And they, we taught meditation, they were interested in meditation. And that's where I met David Channer, who was there at the time. And so, over the years, at that time I had no expectation of living in this country uh, at all. But as fate wills it uh, a few, after uh, we met him again in, they had a a program in uh, Laos before it went communist. And uh, we went. And Ajahn Chah was there at the time. We all went up to Vieng Chien And uh, Nyanad, Ajahn Yanadaro had opened a branch monastery of Wat Vapong on uh, the outskirts of Vieng Chien in Laos. And uh, Lung Paul Liam, who was not Lung Paul in those days, he went up there to spend the vasa with Ajahn Yanadaro. And so then we, th- we, and then the moral rearmament were there with Ambassador Chandlerasi and so the, there's a photo in the, in the sewing room with the monks Vihara with Lumpur Cha, Mai Upachaya and Chow Amon sitting there and this was taken by David Channer in Edadana in Vieng Chan in 1974. Four seventy-five, but anyway, David Channer was a uh, very you know noble character, and he he really loved Buddhism, and so he we had this funeral at the Holy Trinity Church in Clapham, Anglican Church, and and then Tony Pannett, who's an Anglican vicar but also a Buddhist, so that you get <laughs> strange. Strange life, where nothing is quite totally what it seems, and so you get an Anglican church with Buddhist monks chanting, and the and the vicar, who's who, who's who's uh, who's a proper Anglican priest, but also a Buddhist. So this is this is the way the world is. You know, on a conventional level, it's not. You don't have to be just one thing, I guess. You know, th- why not? But uh, uh, but their point is in the awareness isn't it? Not in the attachment. Uh, you've got to, if you're like this then you can't have anything to do with that. There is movement and when your when refuge is in awareness in the Dhamma then the conventional world is no, no problem. It's not a problem. But if the conventional world is all you know, then you get into sectarianism and all that kind of thing. You're either with us or against us and our way is better than yours and we're the true, we're the pure form of Buddhism and we're better than the Christians and or Jesus is the only way. You get into that kind of thinking, religious, because that, that kind of thinking comes out of attachment to the convention. Or the... Islamic terrorism, or the whatever you know, the, you blame Islam for all kinds of things these days. But it's attachment, isn't it? It's all ignorance and attachment. It's not Islam. So the so even if we attach to Buddhism or what, then we're still doing the same thing, operating in the same ignorant way everyone else is. So this is why it is so, so encouraging to, to see how to you know how to, to find our real refuge is in the unconditioned, the deathless nibbana, in, in Dhamma, rather than in a sect of Buddhism or a tr- particular tradition, and then feel very uh, you know critical, alienated, or Uh, intimidated by anything that doesn't do it exactly like we do, because in the conventional world they're trying to make everything standard. You you know, you get into the communists trying to do that, you know, trying to standardize everything and hopeless. You end up and then everybody becomes alcoholic it's so boring. So, you know, just uh, blind conformity is dreary. You know, you might as well have interesting conditions, sometimes, you don't have to, don't demand them all the time, but if you're just blindly holding to a a certain set of conditions and refusing everything else, that, you know, you might, uh, we'll, we'll all be drinking vodka. (laughs) <laughs> so it's not not that, it is not this is where, you know, the this funeral was was uh you know, I quite enjoyed it because they're all good people and and there was this appreciation. Like goodness can be appreciated. It doesn't have to look particularly Christian or Buddhist or have a name applied to it. We can recognise goodness when we see it. It doesn't have to come in the shape of, of some, uh, you know, a Buddhist icon or Christian symbol or whatever. And this is intuitive, isn't it? This is where where mindfulness is, where the discerning ability operates, the wisdom faculty. If we just operate on the conventional level, then we say, "We're the best. Our's is the right way. We're the true followers of Buddha." And uh, therefore, uh, y- you know, you're a heretic, you're a sinner, you're, you're a blasphemer, you're evil. And they might, you know, then you think very good people get, get uh, sacrificed in that. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't recognize goodness unless it, it is wearing the same uniform. So discerning goodness then is, is uh, you know, is a wisdom level, not not a definition of goodness according to to one's viewpoint. And that one intuitively we know what is good, what is beautiful, what is true, rather than uh, just because it, it calls itself Buddhist or Theravadin or whatever. It's, we can also recognize the, the, the imperfections in our own convention without making that into, you know, a problem. Wanting our convention to be the best and perfect in every way. It'll never, never be that way because the conventional uh, conventions are like this. But perfection lies in awakenness, in awareness. So it's that unshakable deliverance of the heart, agupa jado vimuti, that we begin to realize, recognize, and surrender to. So I offer this as a reflection.